Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 381. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jamie, a.k.a. Agent in a Box. Yeah, boxes everywhere. Everywhere. My apartment looks like a game of Minecraft. Yeah. It's pretty swell. <laughs> if you are just joining us on This Week in Marvel, we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff across the Marvel universes, things that we're hyped about, some news, some fun stuff. We've got interviews, we've got big conversations, history stuff, and your questions and comments but first oh boy this is a rad week we have two things so awesome and hypetastic that we got to talk about them as our co-top news first is something i've been waiting and hoping and dying to talk about for literally ages ages counts for like a long time right sure, it could I be mean, any indeterminate amount of time days feel like long days sometimes it's been many 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 days This has been stuck in my head. Huge news that Marvel TV has four new animated series coming to Hulu, including Marvel's MODOK, Marvel's Hitmonkey, Marvel's Tiger and Dazzler show, and Marvel's Howard the Duck. These series will all lead into a special animated event for Hulu entitled Marvel's The Offenders. You can see some art and read details about each series. I think we're going to be doing little deeper dives every day into the, the shows. I believe that is correct. And um, yeah, I mean, as someone who loves cartoons and Marvel, this is wonderful, wonderful news. I thought of you immediately when I heard about MODOK. I've been waiting. Um, So good. You you guys could see art and read details about the series, but I just wanted to drop a couple of the names for some of the folks involved in these projects. I mean, get ready. Yeah. Patton Oswalt on MODOK. Chelsea Handler on Tigra and Dazzler, Josh Gordon on Hitmonkey, Kevin Smith on Howard the Duck, so much more to come about all of these. I'm so beyond hyped specifically about MODOK. This is, oh, you guys don't even know. Uh, Hit up Marvel.com for lots more info and the full creative teams on all these shows because there's a lot of people involved, even at this early stage. It's really cool. Like all your favorite people, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Second Toppest news is that we have some new details about Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, The Black Order, which is coming exclusively to the Nintendo Switch. And the video, which you can watch right now on Marvel.com, showed off some of the epic Alliance extreme attacks that you'll unleash in the game. Plus, you can play solo, four-player in TV mode, four-player locally, across four Switches, or you can play online. I'm going to need some Tuma Maniacs to team up with later this summer, so... Let's get ready for that. Get your Nintendo Switches ready because it's going to be an Ultimate Alliance party. Also, I like the Twima Maniacs. Oh, yeah. We've been using, I don't use it as much lately, but I need to get it back into my vernacular. Oh, yeah. I'll help you because I like it. It really rolls off the tongue. Yes. Yeah. It's also like Hulkamaniacs. Mm. You know, it's just, I'm just taking it from that. But speaking of games, we've got a meaty interview with my friend Greg Miller, one of the heads of Kinda Funny, which is a podcasting and YouTubing and video gaming empire. It's wonderful. That'll be later in the show. And our big talk this week is with editor Mark Basso about Conan by Crumb. This is a mighty episode. But right now, we're on to things that were hyped about this week, comma, including news. So this week, Marvel Studios' Black Panther Can't Stop Winning Awards as it recently won two Grammy Awards. The song King's Dead by Kendrick Lamar, J-Rock, Future, and James Blake won award for Best Rap Performance. And the film's soundtrack by composer Ludwig Göransson won the award for the Best Score Soundtrack for Visual Media. Go Black Panther! Wakanda forever! Heck yeah! Obviously, that's the film side of things, but on the comic side, there's so much War of the Realm stuff going on and so much 
which was revealed this week. We just so happen to have writer Jason Aaron in the office this week, and I asked him to help me talk about the Strike Force books releasing in May. Jason? Hey, how's it going? You're here in the office, and we had just announced these Strike Force books, and I just wanted to take a moment to talk about them because they are pulling directly from the events of War of the Realms. So we've got War of the Realms, Strike Force, The Land of the Giants, which is going to be written by Tom Taylor, art by Jorge Molina. Uh, we've got this really cool cover here by Jorge. What is this team and what's their mission? Um, the team is led by Captain America, who's carrying the Axe of Thor, and it includes uh, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Wolverine, and Spider-Man riding winged horses as they go into Jotunheim to rescue Thor. Thor is the prisoner of the Frost Giants. He's basically there fighting an army of Frost Giants by himself, so his friends are coming to rescue him. That's very nice. It's good <laughs> to have friends who will come across the realms to help right. you out. It's a heartwarming story. Yeah, I'm sure it is. It's like Homeward Bound, but <laughs> with axes and Frost Giants. <laughs> Let's move on to the next book, which is War of the Realms Strike Force, The War Avengers. This team is super cool. It is written by Dennis Hopeless Hallam with art by Kim Jacinto. Awesome cover here by Kim. And, and who's on this squad? Um, this is a, a team led by Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers. It includes Venom, Deadpool, The Winter Soldier, Captain Britain, Sif from Asgard, the Black Widow, and Weapon H, the Hulk with Wolverine claws. You mean Hulkverine? Hulk as his child calls him <laughs> yes. uh, in the book, which is really fun. <laughs> what What's their mission? You know, with these teams going off into the other realms on specific missions, the battle is still raging back on Earth. Somebody's got to lead the fight there. So Carol Danvers takes that job. She's basically coordinating the defense of the entire planet. So she puts together a team of her own Avengers, the wartime Avengers, the war Avengers, and they're fighting battles all over the globe, fighting this war as it expands everywhere to every continent. So fire goblins running around Shanghai and dark elves overrunning London and frost giants have claimed all of North America. So there's plenty of fronts on which to wage war against these bad guys and Carol's leading the, the fight in all of them. Yeah. And our third of the Strike Force books is War of the Realms, Strike Force, The Dark Elf Realm. This one is a real fun team. Who's on this squad? Well, this team's led by Freya, Thor's mom, and includes uh, Frank Castle, the Punisher, the Jennifer Walters Hulk, Ghost Rider, and Blade. And their mission is to infiltrate the Dark Elf Realm of Svartalheim. That's where Malekith's from. That's where the Dark Elves from. It's like a Land of swamps and spooky forests and... Bad pizza places. <laughs> yes. Chicago-style pizza and giant crocodiles. <laughs> Those are the things that uh, Svartalheim is known for. Yep. And they have to go there and blow up a bridge because you can't do a war story without blowing up a bridge. And Malekith, he's able to wage this war. He's able to teleport his troops all over the place because he's got his own version of the Bifrost in Svartalheim. So... Freya is leading the team there to blow it up and cripple Malekith's armies. Heck yeah. Uh, this is all really cool stuff. These issues are all going to be supersized and wonderful. They all come out in May, uh, along with War of the Realms issues three and four, which will be hitting in May. And we'll be talking plenty more about War of the Realms and talking with Jason plenty more in the weeks and months to come. Thanks, Jason. No problem. 
But there's still more to talk about. War of the Realms, Spider-Man, and the League of Realms by Sean Ryan and Nico Leone was announced. War of the Realms, new Agents of Atlas by Greg Pak and Gang Hyuk Lim uh, was announced, which features Amadeus Cho, Jimmy Woo, Silk, and a bunch of new heroes from China and across Asia. Super excited for that. Plus, there's all these other tie-in books and core books and other uh, issues of the series. It is, as the kids say, lit. I've heard the kids say that. Yeah. And we also announced Savage Avengers number one this week. And oh man, oh man, man alive. Are we hyped for this? Jerry Duggan and Mike Diodato Jr. Covered by David Finch, Wolverine, Venom, Elektra, Punisher, and Conan? Yeah. All these people, man. I've, I've been hearing Jerry talk about this for a while. I'm so excited. You guys have no idea. It's fun that we're talking about Conan there. We'll be talking about Conan again in a little bit. But I just wanted to put a little reminder out. My episode of Marvel Make Me a Hero is live right now. We'll link to that in the news story, but it's ridiculous. It was a blast. So when I think of Savage Avengers, I think about someone knocking Thor over the head and grabbing him by his long hair and slinging them over their shoulder. Is that going to be a scene, possibly? I mean, it could be. They're just a very dangerous team of Avengers. Like really dangerous Flintstones. (laughs) Yes. That's it for the hype section for this episode, but I want to make sure, give you a reminder, we are full on in with This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Clubs every month this year. We are just about to release our February episode of Twim URC, which is with me and Marvel Comics Editor-in-Chief C.B. Sobolski talking about some 1950s tales. And our March Twim URC is going to be about the 1960s. C.B. and I are still deciding on books, so if you have suggestions or requests, tweet me at Agent M and C.B. Sobolski at and hashtag TwimURC. The 60s is so tough because it's like... Everything? Everything starts. (laughs) Everything begins. It's so cool. I'm so excited. Uh, When we're talking about history, we've got our section of the show called This Week in Marvel History. So much fun. Uh, I have putting these together. So difficult to put these together. There's so much information. I try to like parse it together. We have this document that a bunch of people on our team are putting together. I'm doing all my separate research and I'm trying to marry it all together. So it's not everything that happened during the week of February 15th through the 21st across our 80 years, but some some highlights. February 19th, 1974, Iron Fist makes his debut in Marvel premiere number 15. February 19th, 1980, Taskmaster first appears in Avengers number 195 by David McLaney and George Perez. February 18th, 1990, the death of the Incredible Hulk TV movie aired on NBC. It was the last of the Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno Hulk shows. That's pretty cool stuff right there. Oh, February 18th, 1992, Spider-Man number 21 by Eric Larson. And this is where he gets the cyborg costume. And I put this one in here mostly because I love it. And I read <laughs> this. This is a, yeah, I think this is the Revenge of the Sinister Six arc or the Return of the Sinister Six arc. But I love this costume. The cover of this issue has has Spider-Man back-to-back with Deathlock, and Spider-Man looks so weird, and we've seen that turn into action figures and show up in cartoons, and most recently show up in Marvel's Spider-Man exclusively for PlayStation 4. So it's a really neat little bit of business that we have. Uh, February 18th, 2004, Pulse Number 1 brings Jessica Jones into the Marvel Universe. Yeah, so after Alias, which was a Max book, we brought her into the Marvel Universe proper. Brian Michael Bendis, Mark Bagley, gorgeous, wonderful comic. February 16th, 2005, Runaways Volume 2, number one, comes out, which is the first appearance of Victor Mancha. And we see Julie Power in the book. Julie, later on, uh, is involved with Carolina. So it's really, really neat. By the way, very cool profile of the Gaborum on Marvel.com this week. So check that out if you're a Runaways fan. February 15th, 2006, first Daredevil by Ed Brubaker and Michael Lark, the devil in cell block D. I believe that's issue 81. I probably should have put it down here, but great, great. 
great issue. Oh, man. Wonderful stuff. If you've never read this run of Daredevil, it is going to wallop you. Uh, February 21st, 2007, the original Civil War comic series ended. Of course, that's a huge, huge issue. Mark Miller and uh, Steve McNiven, you see the end of Civil War, Captain America putting down the shield, sort of giving himself up. It's, It's real good. February 17th, 2012, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance hits theaters. And I love this movie so much. It is wild. It's done by the guys who made Crank, which is just the best movie. It is a delight. It is bonkers. If you've never watched Spirit of Vengeance, do it right now. It is so much fun. Isn't that our Nicolas Cage? Yes. Yeah. I don't know where you go wrong with it's this. The, it's the second one. Like, the first one is, is fine. Yeah. The second one is just like, we're going crazy. It's fun. Yeah, and February 16th, 2018, Marvel Studios' Black Panther was released, and we are all better for it. Amen. All right, from 80 Years of History to this week, our top books from this week's episode of Marvel's Pull List are Age of X-Men, Next Gen, number one, Avengers No Road Home, number one, Captain Marvel, number two, and Savage Sword of Conan, number one. Man, Conan keeps coming up this episode. Uh, To learn more about these books, why we are so hyped about them, subscribe to Marvel's Pull List wherever you get your podcasts and watch video versions on Marvel.com. You know, speaking of Conan, it's time for our big talk section, which is with Conan editor Mark Basso. I learned a couple things in this chat. So if you've never read a Conan comic, this is kind of a perfect chat for you. And if you do know your Conan, you might learn a few things. So enjoy our little Conan primer with Mark Basso. All right, Magic Mark, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Ryan? Good, good, good. How long have you been at Marvel? I've been at Marvel almost 12 years now. Wow, almost as long as me. It's great. <laughs> I love it. Uh, we're here because this week, Savage Sword of Conan, number one, came out. This is our second ongoing Conan series. Yes. Very exciting stuff. And so I thought, you know, I was putting this all together and... I realize we haven't published Conan comics in a while, and we're going to have a lot of people who are coming into Conan pretty fresh, pretty new, like myself. I've only read a handful of Conan books. Like, you know, sort of through comic book and pop culture osmosis, I think most people know of Conan. Yeah, I, w- I would say that that seems to be the story from a lot of people. I haven't heard a lot of talk about it recently until these books started coming out, but everyone has some kind of a story or some connection, even if they haven't read it, you know, their whole lives. Yeah, and so we're going to dive into a whole bunch of stuff about Conan. Mark, I want to know, what is your history with Conan? My history with Conan? Well, I am like one of those people that has kind of a weird tangential connection to it. So when I was a kid... You know, we'd always go up in the summer to Vermont, and my grandmother had a place up there, and it was a little cottage on the lake. And someone who rented the cottage left a Conan paperback novel, so Conan the Destroyer, and it was left there, and I I got it when I was probably, I don't know, 10 years old. So that was um, my first real experience with it. I mean, again, like you, I've heard the name, I heard the character, but this is my first time diving into a story, and it was real cool. I mean, growing up on He-Man and that kind of thing, I had a kind of a proclivity towards the barbarian kind of stories, but this was the first time really getting into Conan. And then the comics, my father got me a big box of uh, Savage Sword of Conans from the 80s. Who knows where, you know, so a tag <laughs> sale or something. And, you know, my brother and I poured through those, and that was just a whole different angle on it. And that's kind of how I came to love the character and the stories. That's so cool. I think my main 
comic book connection to Conan is from an issue of What If from the 90s. Okay. Like it's issue What If number like 19 or so. It is What If Wolverine Battled Conan. And it is <laughs> still one of my all-time favorite comics because you get Wolverine thrown into the, the Hyborian Age yeah. and they fight. He cuts off Conan's hand. Conan takes the, the stump, the wrist, yeah. plunges it into like burning coals to cauterize the wound, keeps fighting, and it's brutal. And then they end up like Wolverine gets stuck in the Hyborian Age. Mm-hmm. Conan gets thrown into modern times. And then he's let, like, the end of the story is like he's let loose in modern world. And you, I think Wolverine's riding off with a red haired. You know, woman who <laughs> would normally be hanging out with Conan. Oh man, it's dope. It's really. I gotta really read cool. that one. Yeah, you know, we're talking all about Conan, and some of you listening may be like, "Okay, but who is Conan, Mark? Who's Conan?" Conan. Well, he is a uh, Sumerian, which is a fake country, basically. Um, the the really fun thing about the Hyborian Age that you mentioned is it's supposed to be a time before our recorded history. It's the you know brainchild of Robert E. Howard's genius. He basically thought, you know, from my understanding, is that by setting something in a historical period that's truly history, truly Earth history, you're kind of boxed in by what really happened, what real things were here. Oh, why did we never hear about these serpent monsters and things? (laughs) So by drawing from elements of real history, but making it his own, he really created a much freer and, in a way, more detailed, you know, world for Conan to populate. So Conan is from Samaria, which is, you know, kind of the north, kind of northern Europe, I guess you'd say, um, is the most equivalent. But it's purposely not meant to be exactly, exactly. Exactly there. So, you know, as the story goes, he came down from Samaria when he was, you know, after 15 years or so, you know, 15 years old, and came down to the more quote unquote civilized parts of the Hyborian Age. And as he comes from this basically, you know, very rudimentary barbarian land, he kind of sees all these different civilizations from that viewpoint. So he has a long history in, in, you know, the comics that we've talked about, but also in Robert E. Howard's stories. I mean, he started as a as a pulp, really novella, short story character, and he had so many different adventures across every type of terrain in the Hyborian Age. You've got Stygia, which is basically like Egypt. You've got uh, you know the the Middle Eastern deserts type locations. So Conan found a way to basically thrive throughout all these different regions, and that's what's so fun about his stories that you get to see all those different bits of his life. And we're going to get into the the different books that we're publishing, but you know. Even so far in the issues of Conan the Barbarian and stuff, we're seeing different time periods of Conan's life. Yes. Um, did those original stories actually like span from those early years to like the King Conan time? Completely. And th- that's to me one of the things that's so fascinating about it. Robert E. Howard had talked, you know, in letters and things back then. I mean, he was writing these stories in the 1930s about feeling like the Conan stories were something he was you know, chronicling from an outside source. He didn't feel like he was making them up. He felt like he was writing down stories that someone was telling him. Mm. So he, he described it in a way that was, that was kind of interesting. And he said that, you know, in the same way that someone has their own life stories, you know, you may sit here and tell me a story when you were in fourth grade and then jump to something that happened last week and then remember something that your parents told you when you were, you know, a toddler. And people don't necessarily tell their stories in exact chronological order. And what's really interesting about Conan in that way is that 
it gives you so much freedom, uh, you know, as creators and as readers to experience these things. The very first Conan story is actually, um, it's called uh, The Phoenix on the Sword. And that story takes place when he is a king. Hmm. Um, past what you probably, when you close your eyes and immediately picture Conan, that period. Um, so we're kind of continuing that. Yeah. One of the things that you always see about, hear about is Krom. Krom. What is Krom? Krom is the god that the Sumerians believe in. I say believe in because they don't pray to Krom because Krom doesn't care. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> uh, he's the grim gray god. Uh, he sits on a mountain. He looks down upon his people and really doesn't have a stake in whether they live, die, you know, worship him really or not. They believe that he gives them strength. And from then on, it's up to the individual person. So Conan invokes Krom as as kind of a curse, like an a curse, yeah, sort of an expletive, like a, exactly. Yeah. Um, he he doesn't beg Krom for forgiveness. He doesn't seek power from Krom because you know he's not going to get it. Whatever Krom gave him was kind of what he was born with, and and they're gone from there. He almost uses it like a weapon at times. He's just like, or like a power up. Like, exactly, ah, exactly. It's so fun. Uh, we mentioned Samaria as this region that. Conan is from. What are some of the other regions, you know, in the Conan mythos? Ah, uh, well, let's see. I, I actually, oh, you've it, got it, a map. I was going to say, if you're reading the books, the the Hyborian Age is something that you know you may not be familiar with. So that's something we talked about doing in the books is including a map so you can kind of track all the different regions we're talking about. I mean, it's not a it's not a U.S. map or anything you may be familiar <laughs> with. There's um, the Pictish Wilderness, which is kind of the area close to the sea that's really more uh, wild. It's log cabins and and uh, you know native peoples that that are much more forested kind of land. We've got Aquilonia, which ends up being the seat of Conan's kingdom in the future when he eventually becomes that king. And that's more of a, you know, civilized, um, doesn't get past medieval type technology or anything. Sure. But, you know, think of your classic kings and castles and, and areas like that. I mentioned Stygia or Stygia, and uh, that's kind of in line with an ancient Egypt. There's the mystical kind of aspect of what we associate with the pharaohs and the pyramids. And, uh, you know, they worship the god Set, the serpent god. So a lot of a lot of the drama comes from, from that. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, you know, like serpents and monsters and magic and cool stuff. I mean, that's a huge part of this mythology, right? Absolutely. Um, what Conan encounters is nothing like what we see in our real history from sorcerers and magic to monsters of all shapes and sizes. He's surprised by it in the same way we are, but it's a world where that kind of thing could be accepted, you know? Yeah. Uh, are there other characters, uh, places, things that are keys to Conan's stories? You know, I'm thinking like the fighting pits are really cool. We've seen them depicted a little bit there. Absolutely. I mean, there's certainly places and, and tropes that kind of appear and reappear in Conan's stories. The new Conan the Barbarian number one, Obviously includes that, like you're saying, him him as a fighter, and you know we've seen that in movies and other comics and things like that. So his supporting cast has has changed over time, but there are a few notable ones. So um, one is the uh, the pirate queen Belit. She stems from a story called Queen of the Black Coast, uh, which is basically a pirate story. Yet another one of those careers and situations mm -hmm. uh, Conan finds himself in. We're actually going to do a series called Age of Conan, Belit. And basically it's going to tell her backstory. So we're going to see her before her and Conan cross paths. You know, a prequel to that classic story in, you know, in comic form. So we're going to see how she became that Queen of the Black Coast. Yeah, super cool. We're going to get to that in a little bit. I wanted to dive back because 
you know, this is the 80th anniversary of Marvel this year and we're celebrating all kinds of stuff. And I was thinking about the history that we as a company have with Conan. Did a little bit of math. By my count, from 1970 to the year 2000, which was when we the last time we published a Conan comic, as far as I Mm -hmm. could tell. We published 635 Conan books. That's a lot of books. It's wild. Yeah. That includes the Savage Sword of Conan, which was a magazine style, but it did have these original comic stories, mm-hmm. so I included that. Um, that was 235 issues on its own. The main Conan the Barbarian series had 275 issues. Yes. Um, I don't even know if my count included the annuals. The annual, I think we had 11 annuals, so we might even have more yeah. than the number that I have, plus an extra one, if you count the official handbook of the Conan universe, which I love official handbooks. They're so great. And that's a great one. I've, I've used that a lot in our development of these series. It's a, it's a handy kind of guide to what came before in those comics. That's really neat. You know, some of the creators who I was just, you know, as I was going through, really cool to see Roy Thomas on so much oh, Conan yeah. stuff. Priest shows up a bunch. Chuck Dixon did some really cool stuff in the late 90s. And of course, Barry Windsor Smith. Of course. I mean... Legendary artist. I think he is someone, when a comic fan closes their eyes, they probably picture a piece of art that he drew of Conan. Back very in- likely. Very likely. We uh, we opened the, the new Conan the Barbarian, which is number 276. We did some of that math, too, to make sure that we were lining it up with our legacy numbering, as you've probably seen on there. We opened that issue, though, with uh, with kind of a quick flashback to previous comics. And there's a, there's quite a representation of Barry Windsor Smith in that collage we did. Heck yeah. You know, now we're doing, as you mentioned, Conan the Barbarian, Savage Sword of Conan, and these uh, this Age of Conan book, Belit. What are the differences between these different titles? Well, I guess starting with Conan the Barbarian, that is a right now it's a, you know being written by Jason Aaron, drawn by Mahmoud Azrar, colored by Matthew Wilson, and we're telling the story of the life and death of Conan. So what happens over the course of the first arc, which is twelve issues, so it's kind of a, an epic scope kind of piece, we see how a confrontation from Conan's past shapes his future, and then going back to what we've been talking about, the uh, jumping back and forth between Conan's life, we see different episodes across different periods of his life, as a pirate, as the pit fighter, as you know, a uh, frontiersman in, in the Pictish wilderness we talked about. We see all those different episodes, and we see them not only as standalone stories like you'd have seen in other comics or in the, you know, the Howard stories. It's really kind of a unique spin on the idea of jumping around time periods, so we see how all these pieces fit into one big puzzle. Uh, Savage Sword of Conan, we're starting off with a five-issue arc by Jerry Duggan, Ron Garney and Richard Isenoff. And that five-part story is going to tell one complete adventure from a particular period in time. So it doesn't immediately jump in and out of the Conan the Barbarian book, so you can read it standalone. Obviously, in the macro master scale, they all work together. So as you jump around in, in time, these things all do line up and make sense if anyone wants to puzzle it out. Yeah, I was going to say, I would love like some Conan historian to like have this giant chart map like (laughs) plotting all the different you know our stories the 600 you know plus issues that we've done plus all of robert's you know stuff like figuring it all out would be really neat that'd be a challenge and people try to do it particularly with the howard stories to try to put it all exactly in it people have disagreements that's kind of part of the fun i mean you know as long as you don't contradict things you can kind of have a little different interpretations on where the things fit So Jerry and Ron's story takes place one particular set of time. And uh, from there, we're going to roll on to other stories with other creators into different sections of Conan's life. And there's some really, really, really cool stuff that we're going to get to in that. Yeah. 
with the Age of Conan, we're going to explore other characters, like I mentioned, Belit. So with that one, we're going to go into the backstory of that Queen of the Black Coast. And as that goes on, we're going to cycle into other characters from, from the Conan mythos. Uh, Belit is written by Teeny Howard and penciled and inked by Kate Nimchik. Oh, I, I love Kate her name. Yeah, yeah, Kate Nimchik. <laughs> I love her work. She did Mockingbird. It was so good. Oh, yeah. She's doing some really cool pirate stuff. Um, you know, she's she's had a lot of fun with um, designing Belit because we've had, we've seen Belit before, but now we're going back in time a little bit. So we've got a couple of different pirate outfits and, and different things. It's been a lot of fun. And colored by Jason Keith. So the whole book is looking fantastic. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, we also have pro stories in the backs of a lot of these comics, which is really neat. And these are new tales. Brand new. So the, the great thing, uh, you know, the guys that we work with at Conan Properties, um, they are so passionate about the character. And when we started working on this with them, they have prose novels and things that they're publishing through their imprint, Perilous Worlds. And in addition to that, they wanted to give us something unique to the comics. So these prose pieces you can only get in the Marvel comics, which was really generous of them, frankly. And what's really cool is that um, some of them tie into the existing novels that they're publishing. So for the fans with the bigger scope on this, it fits even more specifically with stories they may know. And if not, they are built as standalone stories. So each of our Marvel titles is going to serialize this novella across the various issues. So that 12-part arc of Conan the Barbarian has a 12-part novella by John Hawking, and it's going to continue through the comic in the back throughout that whole series. Same with Savage and same with The Age of. So as you get each series, you kind of build together that entire novella, which is um, kind of a great bit of bonus material. Yeah, and they're really good. I mean, I've I'm diving into Conan so much right now. It's it's great. Yeah, I actually ended up buying a collection of the original Howard stuff. Oh, great. Uh, after reading one of Jason Aaron's stories, I was like, okay, I'm in. Yeah. I know how this influenced Jason, and I trust him and, and his taste, so I'm... I'm in. Oh, yeah. And he, he's a huge fan of it, obviously, as I think we all know. But yeah. that second issue of Conan completely stands alone as an issue, but it, it really is a sequel, direct sequel to a Howard story. And if you read that, it opens up kind of another vista of understanding for you. So it's all connected in that way. Super cool. All right. Last thing I want to talk about is, you know, if you talk to someone who's never read a Conan comic, a Conan book, how do you get them into these? What do you say to them? I mean, Conan's really like no other character or story you've ever read. He's interesting in that he's not he's not your textbook hero. I mean, he's not super altruistic. He's not super he he's not a great power, great responsibility kind of guy. I mean, he he speaks from, you know, a, a level of innocence and truth that we don't necessarily see in the same way in other stories. I mean, he's I mean, his view on civilization is that it's kind of messed up. Um, you know, there's a, there's a famous story where, you know, he's caught breaking into a, a rich man's house, basically. He's, he's trying to steal, which is not super admirable, but he's doing it for his own survival. And the owner of the house is killed. But he didn't kill him. And as he's questioned by the police force there, they basically want to throw him in jail to serve justice, quote unquote. Someone needs to be on the hook for this. You're the guy that broke into the house. Might as well be you. Wash our hands of it. And that's the kind of thing that he doesn't understand. He comes from a, from a very basic, straightforward standpoint. I mean, he he tells it like it is and, and you know, sticks to his guns, basically. Yeah, I broke into steel from this guy because that's, that's the way I'm going to make money and survive right now. But I didn't kill him. And you can question me all you want. You're not getting a fake confession out of me. And I'll pull my sword on you if that's what it takes. <laughs> but I didn't do this. So he's, he's a very, he has a very unique worldview. Awesome. Yeah. Great stuff. We're reprinting a lot of the classic Conan stuff. We've got new Conan comics. Lots for you guys to dive into. Hopefully you check them out. And uh, thank you, Mark, for being yeah, here. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
Big thank you to Mark Basso. He is doing yeoman's work on the Conan books. Really excited for uh, Age of Conan Belit and all the other stories on the way. But now we got to go to our interview, which is with Greg Miller of Kind of Funny Games. Kind of Funny is great. Greg is great. Check it out right now. Yay, I'm here. What's up? We finally made it happen. Right? Yeah. It feels like... I think like we talk about this at every Comic-Con. Every oh, Comic-Con. we got to get on the show. And I'm like, I'm never in New York. I still have to come to San Francisco yeah, I know, you're to a coward. visit. You had this great excuse. PlayStation's wow. headquarters there. You got you got the Spider-Man game that's exclusive to PlayStation. Come out. You never did it. You never came out. Not yet. We have other stuff happening, too. You better. So. Oh, tell me about that. What's, what's okay, so I will not talk about that right now. But <laughs> before we get into anything else, got to ask you, what is your Marvel origin story? How did you first get connected to... Marvel characters, stories, comics, whatever it was. Sure. I mean, my Marvel origin story would be with Mike Boylan and his brother Dan, where I saw Mike reading comics and thought that was cool. And we knew that Dan, his older brother, was really into comics. So I went home, and I think the only comic I had at the time was The Amazing Spider-Man, and it was Spider-Man with Hulk on the cover. It was a crossover where Hulk was coming through. And I got it, and <laughs> this tells you how much I knew at the time. I was like, oh... I don't want to seem like I just got this comic, so I wrinkle it up and like roll it around. And then Dan was like, "This is worthless now. Why? Why would you know you know how to take care of your comics and bags and boards and all?" I was like, "No, I don't." And then how old I were did. you? Oh man, that must have been like what first grade, second grade. Okay. Like, that was super early. So in like terms 15, of it. 17. Exactly. Yeah, I was held right back a few now. years. Yeah. So that was like me getting comics for the first time. Obviously, cartoons and stuff like that, and Spider Man. That was always I think there. I had you know the underoos and like yeah, you, you have that idea, but that's the first like. My memory, not someone, you know, a photo that I don't recall or a show that my mom says I watched all the time. That was like what I remember getting into and being a part of it. But I mean, it was very addictive, right? Yeah. In terms of I wanted to get into it and have everything I could. And I was lucky enough that I went crazy with collecting comics. It was right as uh, McFarlane's Spider-Man had started. Yeah, so 1990, 91. Okay, then yeah, yeah that checks out the, the timeline yeah. for sure. And it was that, you know, I remember going in there and it was a, it was a number one, right? You know, getting the fancy polybagged one, having oh, yeah. it, not opening it. But then being able to jump in there and have Spider-Man introduced to me that way. And I think that is what set me on such an interesting track with Spidey in particular, because I love him. But I've always been the guy of like, no, no, no. It's like Spider-Man is married to Mary Jane. Sp that, that is the thing that is related like when, you know, Brand New Day and all that stuff. So I'm like, no, don't do it. You know, like I'm freaking out because like that was my Spider-Man because that's where I started. I, yeah. it, I didn't do the thing I think most people are doing now is you're getting into comics or into, you know, Marvel in general of seeing the movie and knowing Spidey from the ground up or having that at your, you know, DVD collection if you go further back. Like for me, I started there and then had to go like, wait, who is Gwen Stacy? And go learn about that and pick up on all the history. See, I think that to me... There's more work to be done that way. Sure. And it was because that was how I did. Like, I, you know, random uncanny X Men issues I got at the, the used bookstore next to the laundromat where my mom and I would go on Sunday yeah. mornings. And it was like reading John Byrne, Chris Claremont, X Men at like nine years old. And like, what is, what is this opera? And I love that Spider-Man number one is a, such a touch point because you've got the classic Spider-Man villain, Calypso. It's like, <laughs> okay. But the lizard and it's gorgeous. Exactly. It's oh, so yeah, and that's weird. Like thing, the thing, right? Boom, boom, Totally. Boom and think, and uh, think about being like a little kid reading that. Like yeah. it was terrifying and it was awesome. And it felt like I was reading an adult comic. You know what I mean? It, it felt like there was a story that wasn't 
being talked down to for me. It wasn't being boiled down. It was like, here's this real thing. And it, I, it just struck me at the right time that I was able to get on with it and go and be a part of that. Yeah. We'll get more into that stuff. Uh, but you're here in New York. You just did a red carpet. First sure. red carpet. How First was that? Carpet. It was awesome. It was for Star Trek Discovery Season 2. That's going to be on YouTube.com slash kind of funny. So go watch it. Uh, it was great. No, it was it was really cool. I've done a lot of hosting. You know, my career is weird because I got into all this because I wanted to review video games and did for a long time, but slowly evolved into an on-camera personality. And now I'm doing more and more uh, hosting outside of kind of funny. And th- this was the first time they're like, do you want to do a red carpet? And j- anybody who approaches me understands what they're getting. So it wasn't a traditional stuffy red carpet it was like can you fill an hour i'm like yeah do you need segments i'm like nah just give me the camera and the mic and bring by people when you can otherwise we're fine so i was like accosting the audience and jumping in and talking to the fans then interviewing people from the show and you know screaming at the chat and it was what it is (laughs) that's great though yeah it was awesome yeah i I find it interesting some of the similarities and parallel paths you and i have i find interesting because like I started, uh, I got to green journalism, yeah. as you have. I started working at a magazine. Did you go straight to IGN? No, I wish. I would say it starts for me in the, in this is a Marvel time. In the fourth grade, right, I had an issue of GamePro. On the front was the Death and Return of Superman, and on the inside they had the Maximum Carnage ad. And I was so insane about both these games that I read it cover to cover, night after night. And finally, after a month of doing that, and then I had a note card that had every store in towns. Like they, I call, like, do you have Maximum Carnage? Like, no, <laughs> we we don't get games in the middle of a Thursday. Why are you going? <laughs> it dawned on me that adults got paid to write this magazine, and so I walked into the kitchen, had the magazine. I was like, Mom, I know what I want to do with my life, and she's like, What? And I'm like, I want to write about video games, and she said, Okay, we can make that happen. And so that put me on the the journalism path. So yeah, I went to the University of Missouri to get my degree, and then uh, afterwards, yeah, I was like, I'm gonna leave and just it'll be I'll go anywhere I want. Everybody's, they're going to fall all over themselves to get this guy who wants to write about video games and has a magazine journalism degree. Are you kidding me? Nobody would touch me with a 10-foot pole. So I, I went to a daily newspaper for a year and a half before I shot out to San Francisco for IGM. Yeah. So for you, it was GamePro. GamePro was the one that had the all the writers had like uh, oh, the, superhero names or like character names? Oh, was yeah, that yeah, yeah. They changed all that stuff up. And then like, you know, EGM had like the review crew that like they'd have names to or like nicknames or whatever. Yeah. And, like, for were. me, it was Wizard Magazine. Like yeah. Wizard Magazine. I remember like issue number eight. Bishop on the cover, beautiful flowing mullet, Wills Portacio yeah. art. Like, yeah. that was what hooked me Dude. in a similar path. But I mean, like, Wizard was the Bible, right? Like, that was yeah. the thing. And again, like, I, I was a Chicago kid growing up. So when they took over Chicago Comic Con and made it Wizard yeah. World, like, and that was always me and my, and my dad, our like tradition, right? Like, my dad. He likes comics fine. He doesn't read them. But my dad loves collecting. Mm. And so when he saw that in me for comics, he totally fostered it. So we would go to Wizard World and we would get the three-day pass. And I'd be so excited. You know, I have the cool little badge. And we would just walk the floor. I don't think I went to a panel at a con <laughs> until I was, like, covering them probably. Because yeah. it was, like, for me, you would just go there. And I didn't care who was there. It was just about walking the floor and going to every booth and going through every long box. I remember walking in the second year after it became Wizard World. And in front of me, it, and I'm going to screw it up, but it was uh, Garab, Garab? Garab Seamus. Yeah, he was in front of us, and he was wearing that baseball jersey that said the big cheese. I knew him from the magazine, and I was like, I can't talk. I, and I, like, I wanted to tell him how much I loved Wizard and how much I loved his work, and I just couldn't even put the words together to be like, excuse me, sir. You know what I mean? It was like, that's him, Dad. That's him. Dad's like, who? Yeah. Who is this guy? <laughs> uh, now I think he does like art. Those, those Wizard shows were so good. What did your dad collect? If he oh. didn't collect comics. or My dad still to this day collects all manner of antiques. And I use that loosely. I'll show you photos afterwards yeah. or even give them to you so you can put them in. He's converted his garage in the suburbs of Chicago to a antique bottle museum. 
my dad works in construction in Chicago. So and when a job starts, people always give them grief about it. But then eventually they'll start digging up. You're tearing up these old buildings. Mm -hmm. They find old Coke bottles in the walls and they'll come give them to them. My dad's like, oh, yeah, this is from 1906. I'm like, all right, cool. And then inevitably they'll tell somebody who's like, oh, I have a whole bunch of old medicine bottles. And so (laughs) my dad's whole garage now is all these shelves of bottles and Coke memorabilia. He has a long stick that he'll use to point and give you the tour of the museum. I love it. If it's a really good collectible, it'll jump from the garage to the inside. He has one room inside the house that his wife lets him have. <laughs> that is all his old matchbooks and American Airlines memorabilia and TWA stuff. You're like, all right, cool. Dad, dad just loves old stuff. That's great. Yeah. So when you were growing up, you were a Sega kid? Is that yeah, right? I was a Sega kid, yeah. Me too. Yeah, there yeah. you go, man. Sega Genesis. I remember getting like that box at Christmas yeah. later on, and I think you probably had the same. The Sega Genesis that had the Sega CD base on the side yeah, yeah, yeah. and then the 32X. Sure. I still have that in my house somewhere, like just trying to figure this out- This monstrosity. When do I want to blow out the, the power in my neighborhood? <laughs> because it's three <laughs> giant AC yeah. adapters that you still have to put in the wall. Man, that's the best, dude. Uh, that I mean, like I started with the Sega Master System, mm. right? Like I was my parent. I was I am a huge Ghostbusters fan, and so yeah, my parents had made the mistake of going down the video game aisle to shortcut over to real Ghostbusters toys, and sure enough, I was walking and saw the Ghost logo, and I was like, "What is that?" My mom was like, "That's a video game," and I'm like, "What's a video game?" And she's like, "Oh, you know, you like, can I have it?" And she's like, "Well, you need the system." And like, sure enough, for my birthday that year, I got it, and that started me on that track. But yeah, yeah. you you talk about Marvel stories, right? Like. For me, I always tell the story of, again, my father, this construction worker, right? My father is, it's 5.30 in the morning on a Saturday. He's like, I'm going to get up, start working in the garage and go mow the lawn. And like, he's not back inside, you know, done tilling the ground with his rototiller (laughs) until like, you know, sundown. And then he just passes out. Whereas I would wake up, you know, as a normal nine o'clock kid and then just sit in the basement, all lights off, like hiss when the light came through, playing my video games. And it was always that weird thing of, even as a kid, you're like, does dad, does he accept this? Like, does he understand like this matters? And like, does he want me to go work on the car with him? Because I don't want to work on the car. With him. Uh, I, he's in the union, uh, local 150. What up? And uh, a job finishes. There's that time before you get put back on another job, right? But as a kid, it's either you're working or you're fired. And like, so I'm like always panicked when dad's at home because yeah. we have no money and yada, and that's not how it works. But that's how you are as a kid. So on this one time it happened, my dad had picked me up from school and brought me back home. We're watching cartoons. And it was the Genesis commercial that was the Toe Jam and Earl Spider-Man mashup with Toe Jam and Earl. Like they just like threw Toe Jam and Earl in there because it was new. And I'm watching the Spider-Man commercial and I remember not taking my eyes off the set and being like, Dad, that's the coolest game ever. And my dad said nothing, didn't acknowledge that comment, anything like that. The next day he brought me home from school and in front of the TV wrapped up in the Toys R Us bag was Spider-Man on Genesis. And I... To this day, I'm blown away by that. Because, again, to this day, my father does not use a computer, does not have a smartphone, <laughs> like doesn't understand games at all, right? But, like, for him to see it, remember it, prove to me we had money, <laughs> go yeah. to Toys R Us on his own, yeah. come back with the right thing, it yeah. was like, wow, that's yeah. awesome. I love that Spider-Man game. Oh, so uh, just, like, the horrific ending if you fail. Oh, yeah, Mary Jane just getting dunked in, like, Kingpin just walking away, like... like- She's dead. <laughs> Great job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that game was ahead of its time. It had you taking photos. Like, you know what I mean? You could stand on top of the, you crawl on the wall and then just stand there. Like, yeah. Oh, my God. Great boss fights. Yeah. Salmon, uh, Lizard. Six. Yeah, it was all yeah. over wow. that. Yeah. They, they so many good it. things. Yeah. What other did you, X-Men game? Did you ever beat it? The oh, Genesis the arc- game? The, no, no, no. Yeah, come on now. too hard for us. Yeah, no, yeah. come on. We were, just, we were just kids. What yeah. do we know? We don't know. Games back then were just like so punishing. Like, yeah. we understand you're only going to get one or two games a year, so we'll make sure. 
You yeah. have to try forever to beat this. Were you a strategy game? I know you are now, like strategy role-playing games. You like sure, a lot yeah. of those. Were you then? No, that's the thing is I was such a weird, when I'm like, oh, I had a Master System or Genesis, people are always like, oh my gosh, Fantasy Star, oh my gosh, this. And I'm like, I bought all the licensed games. I was like, oh, Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, let's get this. Yeah. Let's see what's going on. Um, all right, so favorite Marvel characters? I mean, Spider-Man's at the top, right? I think... Right now, obviously, Into the Spider-Verse has kicked up Miles and Gwen to such an amazing level, right? And that's what I love, is seeing people come on. And like that was, for me, and I'm sure 20 times for all of you guys, to sit there and be like, I'm watching Miles right now on a movie, and, I'm, and they're crushing it, right? And I'm watching Spider, like Spider-Gwen, I've been all about, right? Like, yeah. since the launch. I'm like, what a cool idea, what a fun way to twist that. But in terms of my growth, I would say, of all time, Spider-Man. And then more recently, it would be Laura Kinney. All new Wolverine, Tom Taylor, man, he he crushed that. Tom is incredible. I know, right? And, he, and like now, friendly. Friendly, right? I was like, going to say, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. Don't if Tom Taylor's name's on a comic, I'm buying it. You know what <laughs> I mean? That's that's just the end of the story. But that was the thing of when he picked it up. I was like, oh, I kind of know X twenty three, whatever. And I remember picking it up and reading it, and then I was like, okay, and going. And then there was a thing he had tweeted something when he was talking to somebody, but it was basically where somebody was asking him a question about it, and it was like, well, when X twenty three does, and he stopped, and he's like, that, that her name's Laura. Like, X-23 is what they gave her. She doesn't acknowledge. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. I'm all in. Now, and, like, reading that and meeting Gabby and, you know, the, the run they had on that, it was like, wow. What a, like, what a book. Yeah. yeah. So good. And Mariko's done wonderful work. And, yeah. You can't throw a rock and not hit an amazing Marvel character, right? Like, I think right now I'm really digging Slot's Iron Man. I thought that was such a great introduction to that too and the way he's writing it this is perfect right now for the the clip of what i want out of this iron man series because i've you know civil war and all this other stuff i've seen great iron man stories sure. but right now this is like really scratching the edge yeah are you okay. so you're more of a writer guy versus a an yeah, yeah usually i mean guy. i mean like when otley came on for amazing yeah. i was like yep yeah. whatever whatever and sure. i've just been letting those stack like i have them and you know it's on my subscription for comiXology so it's just piling up but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still behind on that one mm -hmm. but anything ryan draws i'm going to be watching uh, yeah. looking at too yeah yeah Oh, and Chris Anka, because he will give me so much crap on Twitter if I know. And I do love him. He's great. All right. Marvel games. Favorite Marvel games. Obviously, I'm sure Marvel Spider Man. That's an easy slam dunk answer, but it's, it's got to be put up there, right? Yeah. Like I, I mean, the best Spider Man game of all time, for sure. One of the best superhero games of all time. Definitely in that conversation. But like, that is a game that consistently wows me to this day. And I'm somebody who's platinumed it, right? I've done all the DLC. But it was that thing of, as somebody who chases PlayStation trophies, I was like, yeah, I'll 100% the DLCs, but there's no way I'm starting a new game plus. And then once I 100%ed them all, I was like, this game, 70 hours in now, is still so much fun. Yes, I'm going to start a new game plus, And yes, I'm going to go chase that again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the love of it. And that was the best thing about it for me personally is, if you're unfamiliar with me, my career in video games is based on PlayStation. I was basically hired to be the, you know, the beat writer for PlayStation. So I followed that forever and I've known I know all those devs inside and out. Insomniac, while independent, known for PlayStation, right? Yeah. With Resistance and Ratchet and Clank. And in the PlayStation 3 era and into PlayStation 4, they weren't getting the credit they deserved anymore. I think I think you saw people like Naughty Dog step up, right? Sucker Punch step up and start making different things. And Insomniac kind of became the guy, all right, they're making another Resistance. All right, they're making another Ratchet and Clank. It's hard to get excited for that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the industry started to sleep on them, and they're such great people. So to see them get the chance to make Spider-Man, make it exclusive to one platform, not because I, I want PlayStation to be the best or anything, but because they get to focus on one platform, sure. they got it through and through. They knew what they were doing, and they, they knew all the references they wanted to make. We did a spoiler cast with Brian Intahar, obviously, from Insomniac, after the fact. And there is that question, which is like, man... 
why isn't there the black suit? Why, why, why isn't the black suit in the game? And he's like, hey, like, we understand that's an amazing suit, but he's like, more importantly, it's an amazing story. And if we were just to toss it in as an unlockable, that wouldn't be doing it justice. No. And it was like, wow, like you get it. You yeah. get it on so many levels, right? Yeah. So yeah, that I mean, right there at the top. But if you want to start going backwards, then yeah, Spider-Man on Genesis for sure. Um, Ultimate Alliance, right? Like what a great thing that was when that came yeah. around. And then to get to the fact that now we have one coming, again, exclusive with Switch, which I'm like all about. Yeah, Ninja Theory. Let's see what you do. Just focus on one platform. Make it for that platform and really get what we get out of it. Yeah. I mean, Shattered Dimensions was a great Spider-Man game. I remember that was to, you know, Beanox really coming out and be like, oh, wait, you guys, you got something going on here. You know what you're doing. What about the Spider-Man arcade game? Yeah, arcade games are fun. Whatever. I just love that Spider-Man arcade game. It's just so weird. They're, like, the, the models for the characters are so thin and tall. Yeah. It's got Namor. <laughs> it's got Namor. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. all I care about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a giant Venom climbing a building at one point. It's just, it's real fun. If, you, if you've got the opportunity to play it, check it out. Maximum Carnage. I got to shout that out. Sure. They tossed that in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was awesome because yeah. I was like riding that wave of Carnage and they were yeah. all like, yes. It's the wave of Carnage and also the wave of those like side scrolling beat em ups. Yeah. Like, yeah, totally. you could, like, the Tick game or you've got, you know, Maximum Carnage or any other million of. Right. Oh, Plus it had the it had the red cartridge. Remember? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Oh yeah. You're also obviously a big MCU fan. You guys did a show covering the MCU, didn't you? We did. Yeah. Last year, leading into Infinity War, we did a show called MCU in Review, which was a weekly podcast where we would watch the movie, then come and talk about it and have bits and segments and stuff. And we did it on a lark, like, all right, cool. You know, we like doing seasonal shows, stuff we're not committed to forever. And it exploded. Like, we did not expect it to get picked up the way it did. And it was far and away our most successful show of last year and debut in a long time. And it was just interesting how excited people were to do that, right? Because it was such a great idea. We stole it from Jack Patillo from Achievement Hunter. He was in the <laughs> office filming something else, and he was like, huh. And we're like, what? And he's like, next week, if you start watching uh, Marvel movie, we're like, oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like it got, it found a fan base, and now it's a, a staple of our, our shows. We still do in-review every week now. But yeah, it was awesome to get in there and do that and go back and watch that. And I was blown away by the way I had it wrong. You know what I mean? I remember enjoying Captain America First Avenger and then Winter Soldier I remember everybody saw it before me for some reason I must have been on a trip and everybody's like it's amazing and I remember when you build something up that way sure. it's already it's probably going to fall unless it's into the Spider-Verse which no matter how much anybody builds up there, it's like it exceeded my expectations so we do in review and it started as MCU but then it became different franchises and we did we've done Spidey in review which is all the non MCU movies ranked and so we put into Spider-Verse there. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. so watching all of this together and actually seeing them without like the gap, you know what I mean of like however many years it's been like watching the way they've put taken the MCU and weaved this narrative through all of it it's like Oh my God, I had Winter Soldier so wrong, and I had Captain America so wrong, and I really get why people dig him. And now he is one of my favorite characters yeah. in the MCU and in comics as well, like in, t in terms of who he is and his moral fiber and all that stuff. But seeing them all back to back to back like that was awesome. We're running out of time. Uh, of course, you've hosted Marvel Games panels. Sure. How much fun was it to be on uh, Hall H stage this past year? Dude, it was insane. Are you kidding me? Like, that was the thing. I remember my, it was such a weird progression, and my career has been this way of just like, Oh, that'd be cool one day. I'll never do it. And then doing it. And I remember being in Hall H, you know, watching some Kevin Smith panel when I snuck in when I was doing stuff for IGN at Comic-Con. And being like, wow, there's so many people. This is insane. So this year to walk out there and do, yeah, the Marvel Games panel on Hall H and be able to debut the Spider-Man PlayStation 4 Pro I'd been yelling about forever. Forever. You know, all these, talk to people from like, you know, Sanzari or whatever. Matt was up there talking about the Marvel VR game, all these different announcements. Anytime you can share the stage with Bill Roseman. But 
as usual, what I love about it is the energy. I talk about this all the time. I'm sure you know it as well. Like on the internet, we make these creations and we put them out there. And usually the people who are motivated to speak to you are the vocal minority that are mad about something you said. Usually the silent majority consumes the product, likes it, loves it, and is just like, cool, I'm going back about my day. I, I listened to this podcast while I was making dinner, while I was driving a car. I don't, you don't think when you get there to say something nice. So when you go to a Comic-Con, when you are on a Hall H and it's these people who are packed in this room and are so excited just to be there and celebrate the people making their creations, like that energy and that love, that's what it's all about. Yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. Uh, <laughs> congratulations on Kind of Funny 4.0. Thank you so much. Yeah, we just celebrated our fourth anniversary of Independence and we relaunched a whole bunch of different things. We blew up the morning show. We do two live shows a day now. One's Games Daily, which is always the gaming news, and then the other is for YouTube.com slash Kind of Funny, and it's just whatever. It's in review. It's KFAS. It's uh, debatable, which we just did top 10 MCU uh, heroes as well. Where oh, nice. we, we get in there and argue for points in a game show. It's good. Yeah. Where are fans going to listen to all these? Watch all these. You can go to kindafunny.com. Kinda. K-I-N-D-A. Funny.com. Easy. Greg, thanks for being here, being on This Week in Marvel and at Marvel headquarters. Hey, no, thank you for having me. Thanks for making the time. I'm glad we finally got this to happen. Big thank you to Greg Miller. But now we're going to go into our community. And first, I want to throw out our question of the week for this episode. And this one is tied to video games. And uh, we know that Avengers, X-Men, Guardians of the Galaxy, and more characters will be playable in Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, The Black Order on Nintendo Switch. So my question to you all is, which characters do you want to team up with in the game? Let us know. Uh, I will say I have been able to play a little bit mm -hmm. of the game. Just getting to play as X-Men is always great. Maybe Wolverine and Captain Marvel. You know what? That's that's the pair I want to play with. I want someone to, to be Captain Marvel. I'll be Wolverine and we go to town. I can take Captain Marvel. I would honestly love to team up with Wolverine. And plus we're the same height, so that could be <laughs> conversation. Heck yeah. Have. Sure. <laughs> uh, all right. So you can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. You can email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thisweekinmarvel. All right, and uh, with that said, let's dive into your tweets. First up is Captain Rogers 44 saying, my favorite Marvel couple, this is in response to our previous question of the week, my favorite Marvel couple would have to be Mockingbird and Hawkeye. Clint and Bobby are so perfect for each other that they can't be together. But when they are, hilarity ensues an epic butt-kicking action. I agree. I like them as a couple. They were fun and a little dysfunctional, but fun. Yeah, I, I like that. I also really liked Mockingbird with uh, Peter Parker. I thought that was completely, she is uh, way out of his league. Yeah, I was just going to uh, say. 100%, that but seems... it, it was fun. I guess she just he felt the need to control someone, be the alpha, which. <laughs> She's always the alpha. I understand She's that. She's great. <laughs> Simon Williams says, it's hard to decide on a favorite Marvel couple. For me, it's between Peter and MJ, Storm and Black Panther, and Steve Rogers and Peggy Carter. Honorable mentions go to Kitty and Colossus, Falcon and Misty Knight, and Bucky and Valkyrie from Exiles. So much love in the Marvel universe. Those are really great they uh, are. couples. I, When you start like listing them off like that, it is very difficult yeah, to, to pick. Storm and Black Panther, whenever I see them as a couple, I'm just like, what a regal couple. Yeah. Juan Chango Wences says, my favorite Marvel couple hands down is Billy and Teddy. Another one for Wicked and Hulkling. They were the first gay couple that was actually a real couple who had their ups and downs, but no matter what, always had love. They were the romance I always wanted and now have. Oh my God, I just died. That is the best. It's wonderful. Do you, <sighs> do you think they had excellent adventures in addition to the Tony Bogus journeys? <laughs> 
Jiggy Cruz says, can I answer Matt and Foggy as my favorite couple? Bromance, maybe? I can never forget New Avengers number two when Matt saved Foggy from Carnage. Then Foggy begs the Sentry to help Matt. The friendship is real! Agree. Yes. Agree. Totally. Totally valid. Love it. Tech Lord Lex Pendragon says, This week in Marvel asked us to give our Twim of the Week, so I'll make it a point to report back with mine. This week, Chip Zdarsky impressed me on Daredevil. I'll miss him on Spidey, but Chip Zdarsky is one of the best writers in comics, and who could argue with this gorgeous art? Heck yeah. That's great. I love it. The art by Marco Cacato. Super cool. Uh, Thank you, Lex, for giving us your Twim of the Week. Always love to hear what you guys are most excited that you read that week. Terrific. This was a great episode. On that note... This has been an episode of This Week in Marvel. See you next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. This is Marvel. Your universe. 